Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Our guys are real resilient. Now, I've been... I've been very proud of them, and I'm just glad that we get to go into the tournament and be a part of it. Because regardless of what happened today, I was going to be very proud of those guys. And you know, our goal every year is to get in the tournament, so you got a chance at the ultimate one. And um, you know, our guys, I think it's real hard when you know you have a season where you lose four in a row. Um, you know, most places um, when you lose four in a row, guys, it's tough to keep guys together. And just the the character in our building and the players and just everyone around it's it makes it easy and you can just focus on your job and keep fighting and that's what our guys have done all year they just kept fighting not worried about anything else and um, in the meantime i think we've gotten better each time doing that and we've been able to overcome some injuries too a lot more gray in that beard for kyle shanahan than there used to be and this year probably had a lot to do with that mike it ages you quickly as you're a coach and you lose four in a row and you're left for dead and then you turn it around and it all comes down to one game week 18 a team on the other side that you've mastered in recent years which only adds the anxiety because at some point they're going to get you back and it looked like the rams were indeed going to get the 49ers back it was 17 to nothing Sean McVay was running around in the end zone like that fan we saw in Jacksonville a few weeks ago he's out there on the field after a (laughs) touchdown celebrating I'm surprised they didn't throw a flag on him I think they they thought it was so funny the officials didn't know what to do when all of a sudden McVay's in the end zone after a touchdown and then 17 nothing becomes 17 17 becomes 24 24 becomes overtime and there he is what are you doing Get your big butt out of here. He does. Uh, hey, look, the, the, the official don't know what to do. What are you doing? Are you lost? Uh, but uh, that was the happy time for the Rams. It ended up falling apart. Unbelievable that the 49ers showing the resiliency. Down 17-0 with a team that really isn't built to sling it around and score 17 points. It has to be methodical. It has to be deliberate. They shifted into that mode where they just pound and they pound and they pound and they pound and they had enough time to do it to tie it up and get to overtime and get it done. I I was amazed 
by what the 49ers were able to pull off because I assumed they were dead in the water, that Sean Payton was going to get Coach of the Year votes for somehow navigating a ridiculous COVID-infected season and everything else they had to go on in New Orleans and take his team to the playoffs didn't happen because the 49ers pulled it out. Well, I, I mean, as, as happy as Sean McVay was in the end zone, I think a happier guy at the end, a guy who's they were talking about it, and I think you had mentioned it as well, was John Lynch, you know, on the chopping block. Did you see him at the end of that game, man? He's standing on chairs going nuts as they pulled that win off and possibly saved his job, if that was a thought process. That I don't know. You would know more about that. But, boy, was he happy. But And you said it. So, for, so for a team in the Rams who were, what, 45-0 and when leading at halftime? I mean, some ridiculous number like that. And they're up 17 zip and then 17 to three and a half. And, and I've always said this when I've been calling games. It's halftime. You don't have to change your game plan. And San Francisco isn't a pass happy team. Look at the stats 31 runs, 32 passes. That's San Francisco. Pound the ball, run the ball, pound the ball, hit the passes. You know, hit them to, to Kittle. Debo Samuel has been, like, like Cordell Patterson, I love these receivers who run the ball as well, and he throws the ball as well. I mean, it's phenomenal what they do, but they are a complimentary football team. And while it looked like, oh, God, they're going to get blown out, they have to start passing all the time, they didn't panic. They kept to their game plan, and they methodically came back in this one. So very, very impressive, and Again, now six in a row over the Rams, so they have some kind of magic on them. I heard George Kittle saying, oh, yeah, a lot of the Rams were chirping in his ear when they were up 17 zip. But, uh, you know, that's why it's a 60-minute ball game. In this case, and more. Look, the, <laughs> the, that, that's right. And the obvious motivation for the Rams was to win the game and win the division. And they still, uh, you know, they still pulled that off and won the division because the Cardinals lost. But... The other motivation is get the 49ers out of the playoff field. You do not want to cross paths with this team again in the playoffs. You just don't want to do it. And, uh, you know, this is a team, Mike, they they were the Colts of the NFC. They were the team that nobody wanted in this playoff field. And the 49ers are in now. And they're going to give – got all week to talk about this, but I think they're going to give the Cowboys everything they can handle. You got Dan Quinn, the former Falcons head coach, running the defense in Dallas. You got Kyle Shanahan, the former Falcons offensive coordinator. I got a feeling Kyle Shanahan took pretty good notes when he was working for Dan Quinn about how Dan yeah. Quinn's going to call his defense in that moment. I really, I really am concerned for the Cowboys. We're, uh, I think today or tomorrow is the 40th anniversary of the catch game. I, I really, really am worried about the Cowboys in that game. We were, we, we were concerned they were going to draw the Cardinals. I think they should be every bit as concerned about drawing the 49ers, Mike. Oh, I completely agree. Listen, Dallas, you know, they've been known for that offensive line and that rushing attack. They haven't seen that in a little while now. I know Tyron Smith has been out. They've had Zach Martin, who played at his, you know, normal all-pro level. But they haven't been running ball the way they, they normally have. Pollard was out the last game. You know, so it, it's... It's got to be that two-headed monster, and they have to get that going. God knows they have the weapons on offense, and now some guys obviously were out this last game. It's tough to put a lot on the last game, even though they destroyed Philadelphia. Uh, Michael Parsons, I I can't wait to see what he does uh, in this game as well, what he's done as a rookie and what he's going to do in his first playoff game. But, you know, listen, kudos to San Fran. Kudos to that NFC West. They were the only team. They had three double-digit win teams. Three. 
Only one other division had two, and that was the AFC East with the Bills and with New England. Everybody else just had one. So we talked about that being the most competitive division in all, in all of football, and it turned out being that way with three double-digit wins. So I agree with you. The way Sam Fran can play, and, and all eyes will point to Jimmy Garoppolo again, you know, in a clutch time, will he make the throw or will he overthrow? You know, will he make, will he make the play? But I think they have a really, really good chance in this game because Dallas is not hitting on their running cylinders right now. And Garoppolo's got that thumb injury, but he played through it, overcame a couple of interceptions, and had a great drive uh, on Sunday against the Rams. Here's Kyle Shanahan after the game talking about Garoppolo's ability to bounce back after the miscues. Jimmy's always been pretty good at bouncing back from picks. Um, you know, I think it's it's tough when you're trying to run the ball a ton, so you don't you don't get in too much of a rhythm. You're trying to do that when it happens, and um, and gosh, he made some big plays. And then that one at the end down in the red zone, that pick that happened between him and George, it was real tough. But to come back and lead us down there, however many every yards it was, like close, to, I think it was a little over 80, um, to tie it up to send it with an overtime, he was um, unbelievable today. And, and that's what Garoppolo does, Mike. He'll do just enough to keep Kyle Shanahan on board with him. And I also think the fact that Trey Lance hasn't developed the way they thought they would is a factor as well. But, you know, we saw it yesterday. Garoppolo gets put back in that Bob Greasy from the early 70s category where all you're doing is handing off, handing off, handing off. Kyle gets freaked out, so it's handoff, handoff, handoff. The only pass that we saw for an extended stretch was Debo Samuel throwing the ball for a touchdown. So, uh, you know, and then you need Garoppolo, and, and he woke it up and he got it done. But, again, it's just enough to make Kyle Shanahan think, okay, he's our guy. Um, it's, a, it's a weird vibe, and it's going to continue because I still think in key moments Garoppolo is going to hold him back. But he's also going to do enough in other key moments to continue to earn the chance to, to see if he can do it in another key moment at some game down the line. As I said, this is a complimentary football team, and I don't just mean running and passing. And, and the thought that, that Trey Lance, now his upside may be phenomenal, but to think that he would have come in missing a year and playing just 13 games but not playing the year before and all of a sudden pick everything up and be ready to go, that's a, that's a tough call for any rookie, let alone one uh, that hadn't played in a year and only 13 games in college. So, I, I never understood play Trey, play Trey. I never understood that at all. You know, you know exactly what you have in Jimmy Garoppolo. And so you know you have to run the ball well. But man, give it up to that defense as well. That D-line sacked Stafford five times, which means you're hitting them a bunch more than that. That's what I mean about complimentary football. That they have that defense, that defensive line that can get after the quarterback. So that to me is all the things that they need. And even though they were down again. They came back. The offense started methodically doing their thing coming back. The defense was knocking Stafford around and went up throwing two interceptions in this game. This is how they need to roll. If the game, you know, if it's 17 to nothing with eight minutes to go in the game and all of a sudden they got to be pass happy, I don't think you get the same outcome. You know, but it was 17 nothing and 17-3 by halftime. So you got a half a ball to go so you can still stay in your game plan. It's when they get taken out of their game plan. And this is true for a lot of teams. It's not exclusive to the 49ers. But the great teams, when they get taken out of their game plan, can still make a game out of it and come back. That would be tough, I think, for San Francisco if they had to become a pass-happy team. 
And Mike, I agree with you completely on Trey Lance, but we were talking earlier about whatever conversations resulted in the Colts deciding to go all in with Carson Wentz. I'd love to know exactly what transpired in the 49ers organization to make somebody think it was a good idea to take the 12th overall pick in the 2021 draft, add two future first-round picks and a third-round pick to go up to number three to take whoever was left after Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, whether it's Mac Jones, whether it's Justin Fields, whether it's Trey Lance, when you've got Jimmy Garoppolo, but they were exasperated with him because he can't stay healthy. I, I you know... Why? I, where, look at where they are right now. What has Trey Lance done to help them to get to where they are right now? Absolutely nothing. And they're in a position where they have another chance to make a run at the Super Bowl. They would have had their first-round pick for next year, their first-round pick for the year after that. They could have used the 12th overall pick on somebody who could have maybe helped them be even better this year or just taken whatever quarterback was left when they were on the clock at number 12. This, it, it just felt like they freaked out because they had passed on Patrick Mahomes in 2017 and they shouldn't have. They said no to Tom Brady when he wanted to come home and play for the 49ers. I just feel like they freaked out and they, they made a rash decision in a weak moment. And I, and I think, again, just like with, with Andy Reid, give him a big enough cheeseburger, he'll tell you who he'd rather play this weekend. I, I don't know what you'd have to give Kyle Shanahan to get him to tell you the truth, but I'd love to know the truth as to why and how they freaked out and made that move because this season has told us they should have just stayed where they were. Well, I, I guess my thought process was, listen, I thought Mac Jones was going to go there. My thought was, all right, if you're not enamored by Garoppolo and he's injury prone and going to miss some games, I need to bring in a quarterback who maybe has a little more experience in college and also at the power five level, like a Justin Fields and a Mac Jones, you know, from Ohio state and Alabama, but they obviously are somebody, the decision maker there, whether it was John Lynch, Kyle, Kyle Shannon, whoever made a decision, felt Trey Lance had the biggest upside. You know, they felt him, maybe his ceiling was the highest with what they wanted to do, but you had to know full well that he was going to be the least ready, at least I know I thought that, of the quarterbacks coming out of the experience they had in college and who they played for in playing in big-time games in Power 5 schools. One last point, too, because the Rams decided to go all in in the offseason and trade Jared Goff plus two first-round picks plus a third-round pick for Matthew Stafford. And, you know, I feel like what we're seeing from Stafford is a guy who's been in the NFL since 2009 and has never played for a front-runner and is kind of learning on the fly what it's like to play for a team that actually has expectations. And at times, at times, Mike, you know, they, they were living dangerously. They go to Minnesota with three Stafford interceptions and somehow win. They go to Baltimore, a game they should have lost. There was that pick six to start the game. They somehow win. Yesterday, it was a game they should have easily won, and Stafford's miscues contribute to a loss. I, I Hey, that game next Monday night between the Cardinals and the Rams, I mean, all the playoff games to me are going to be fascinating, but I want to see what Matthew Stafford does as a guy that is hosting a playoff game and is playing for a team that's going to be expected to win is he going to step up and make the big throws in the big moments, or, or, or is it going to be some of this stuff we've seen in recent weeks that makes us say they traded Jared Goff for trade uh, for Jared Goff? Yeah, luckily they're playing a team that we can't figure out in the Arizona Cardinals, right? The Rams and the Cardinals split in the regular season a couple of weeks ago. I used the term I thought Arizona was swirling down the drain, and then they did what they did to Dallas, which we were like, okay. Where did that come from? Kyler Murray ran a little bit more in that game. So I'm not sure which team you're getting. The one thing that's interesting to me, we've seen Sony Michelle was a nice pickup for them. Obviously, Cooper Cup 
What he continues to do, seven catches over 100 yards again, is just amazing. Higby gets a couple of uh, uh, touchdown catches as well. They got Cam Akers back from that Achilles. This was, I believe, his first game back. So let's yes. see another week. Let's see a little bit more. He only ran the ball a couple times. He caught a few balls. But I would expect even a little more out of him. Just another, I think, really good weapon uh, that, that the Rams are getting back and going to be one week more healthy of getting back into the groove a little bit. I think that's a, a good thing for them. They got to have more balance. They, 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 and, you know, running the ball is a mentality. It's a mindset. It's a different approach altogether from the blocker standpoint. You're firing off instead of backing up, and they need to get more of that mindset into this team if they want to be successful in the postseason. It can't just be the passing game and hope that the defense can get some sacks. They have to run the ball, maybe control the clock, and break the other team's will a little bit like their will was broken on Sunday. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return... Taking a look at where the vacancies may arise. No one was fired as a result of yesterday's games, although someone was fired yesterday as a result of Saturday's games. We'll talk about who may be gone, who may be staying when PFT Live continues right after this. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory-smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. Broncos wrapped up their season on Saturday with a loss to the Kansas City Chiefs. Vic Fangio fired Sunday morning. He took the high road on the way out the door, praising the fan base, praising the front office, praising George Payton, the GM who arrived last year and who fired, made the call, made the decision to move on from Vic Fangio after one year together. And, Mike, I'm told Payton is the guy moving forward. He's going to make the decision on the next head coach. It's not a John Elway move. Elway basically got got promoted out of the football operation last year. This is George Payton. And part of the challenge is they're expecting quite possibly new ownership this year. Do you attract a high-level coach when you know there's going to be a new owner? They're very confident they're going to be able to pull this off and get a great coach and then focus on the one thing that has plagued this team since they won Super Bowl 50 six years ago, and that's getting a quarterback who can get it done. And who knows how the dominoes are going to fall as it relates to veteran quarterbacks, but 
they pretty much have everything they need, right? If you're a quarterback looking for greener grass, maybe it gets no greener than Denver right now, depending upon who they hire to be the coach. They got the defense. They've got the running game. They've got the receivers. You just plug in a quarterback who can get it done, and the Broncos could be immediate contenders in the AFC. Just plug in the quarterback, something they've been trying to do now since Peyton Manning. I mean, that's, listen, I, I get it. They got to find the right head coach, but, you, you know, I, I understand that. But they need a quarterback. They got, they got to find the quarterback. I love, you know, Gordon and Williams. I love the two-headed monster at running back. I love some of the pieces that they have. So are they drafting a quarterback? Are they getting a veteran quarterback to step in? Are they going to draft one and get a veteran? You know, to start with a veteran bridge to a young guy. The quarterback crop this year. Now, again, we'll wait and see. By the end of the year when they actually played football, everybody thought, eh, you know, it's okay. But by April, we may have five first-rounders, the way everybody, you know, evaluates quarterbacks. It gets ridiculous. But I don't think this is a great crop of quarterbacks coming out. So what's the play? Are you able to get one of the top ones somehow, some way? If not, what veteran is coming your way? So, that, that, that's been what's been holding them back. You can build everything you want around it, but you, and, and you don't have to get an all-time great quarterback, but you have to get an efficient quarterback, something they haven't had in a long time. They have had a, an amazing array, a, a depressing array of quarterbacks since Peyton Manning retired. <laughs> it has been uh, Trevor Simeon, Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, Case Keenum, Joe Flacco, Drew Locke, Brandon Allen, Jeff Driscoll, Brett Rippon, Teddy Bridgewater, and also who can forget the Kendall Hinton game from last year when all of their quarterbacks ended up on COVID reserve. But this is an attractive yeah. destination for one of these veterans that may be looking for a new home. If it's Aaron Rodgers, if he ultimately decides to leave Green Bay, and I don't think he should, I think a lot of it depends upon what Green Bay is willing to pay him. But if he's looking for a new destination and isn't concerned about competing with Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes, Denver makes sense. Russell Wilson, Denver could make sense if he's looking for an upgrade for himself. But, but that's going to be a huge decision for the Broncos. And as goes the quarterback, will go Denver. Uh, in Minnesota, it's expected that Mike Zimmer will go. Here he is from after yesterday's season-ending win in a meaningless game over the Bears talking about his job status. Have you heard anything about your job status? And what are your thoughts just on the rumors? No, I haven't heard anything about my job status. I haven't heard anything about yours either. Do you think there was a chance this could have been your last game as a Vikings coach? Not my choice. On my decision. Mike, what are you um, most proud of when you look back at the eight years that you've been here? Let's, let's not go there today. We want to talk about it tomorrow. Let's talk about it tomorrow. But this isn't time to uh, re, re, con, you know, collect for eight years. Look, Zimmer's in a tough spot. He, I think he knows which way the wind is blowing. Yeah. I don't know how I, how I feel about the comment. I don't know about your job status either. I mean, th th there's one specific job in this entire industry that hinges on your ability to win football games. It's the coach. If you don't win enough games, you're going to be gone. And when you have a team that by all accounts is pretty damn talented, that, that has built a lead in almost every game of the season and has found a way to blow that lead at some point, the fingers collectively 
will be directed at the head coach. He's the guy who is responsible for the loss of focus that we chronically saw all season long. And last year, they didn't make it to the playoffs either. I mean, two straight years of no playoffs with a team that has a, a great new stadium, a great new practice facility, owners who are willing to pay money. At some point, it's, it's, it's the way football is. You got good teams, you got bad teams. And at some point, the bad teams are going to say, how do we get better? Well... The only way to get better is to change coaches. And you may not get a better coach, but sometimes you just need a different coach. Yeah, listen, I agree. And when Mike walked into that press conference, he had to know what questions were going to be thrown at him. And yeah, I mean, it, it, every now and then it gets to the point where, okay, we need, we need to try something here to get over hump. Kind of like what you, and sometimes it can backfire. You know, kind of like what you said when Case Keenum was leading that team and they felt they needed upgrade and bring in Kirk Cousins. Cost them a hell of a lot of money. Haven't seen much more results, right? And isn't Cousins owed like 35 mil next year? Yes. Uh, as well? Yes. I mean, this man did football business better than anybody with, with, with the way he, he worked some of his deals. But name me a better trifecta of running back and receivers, Thielen, Jefferson, and, and, and Cook. Right, I mean, they're in the team picture of the best trio in all of football. So you have you have some pieces there on offense. Defensively, at times they played well. Now they lost a couple of their pass rushers on the defensive side of the ball. So it's a team that any coach coming in has got, especially on the offensive side, has got to be saying, "Man, I've got some weapons here." Now who'll take that job? It's a job you're taking where you do have some tools to work with. There's no doubt about that. Well, and the question is, what do you want to do with Kirk Cousins? Could they find somebody to take on his contract at $35 million? Is there somebody out there that's going to pounce on it? Do you have to pay part of it? Do you have to throw in a draft pick to get someone to take it? I don't know because he's a stat machine, but there are clear limitations on Kirk Cousins' game that is keeping this team from winning enough football games and being a true high-end contender. And I know we can say, oh, boy, look at that. Look at his passer rating. Look at this. Look at that. That's when everything goes well. The problem is when things don't go well. When the walls cave in, he can't make chicken salad. And that's one of the reasons this team is held back. And when you have a defensive head coach who prides himself on his defense and he can't – their defense was 31st in the NFL entering Week 18 – that's not good enough. Now, the other question in Minnesota, will they keep GM Rick Spielman? He's been there 15 years. He could get a different title. This could be the season of different titles for general managers where they keep them around, but they get somebody else to run the football operation. Mike in Chicago, feels like Matt Nagy is going to be out. Same question there, though. What happens with Ryan Pace? And more importantly, what happens with the guy? best job in all of football, team president? Because you're not held to the same standard. Yeah that the coach and the GM are. You're still part of the process. You're hiring the GM. You're hiring the head coach. Ted Phillips has been the president of the team since 1999. He's got three playoff wins to show for it. Are they going to blow it up all the way to the top and start over in Chicago? It feels like the time is that has come for that. But you know, we'll find out as soon as today what kind of changes the Bears are going to make. Yeah, I, I got to believe that's how high up that you, we know we believe the change is going to start the head coach. But where it goes from there, and that's that's really all the all the players' concern. I'll, I'll speak now as a as a former player. It's the coach because with a coaching change, as I've mentioned a couple times already throughout the show, how it directly affects the players. Players don't go up as high as the GM, you know, unless the top players that they want to have input or think they want to have input. The GM or the president doesn't concern the players as much. 
who's coaching, who's now the new coach, which means who's now my new coordinator, which means now who's my new position coach. That's what the players are looking at. They stop at basically a head coach and say, okay, how now is this going to affect me and our team? Because we know it's Justin Fields going forward. We know that. So whoever comes in is going to have to understand that that's a deal. This is Justin Fields' job. He's going to be the guy we're building around. That's what all the players in that locker room know. So speaking from the player side, for them, it's going to stop at who is our next head coach going to be. That's how it's going to directly affect me. And I've said this time and again, why do you authorize trading up to get Justin Fields if you're going to potentially fire your coach after one year and then you have a new coach that you have to hope you get a coach who's happy with Justin Fields and doesn't want some other quarterback? We've seen that from time to time where a coach comes in and really isn't on board with the guy who's there. Other spots we're keeping an eye on. Panthers coach Matt Rule, I believe, is safe. Jay Glazer suggested yesterday that his job hinges on hiring a high-end offensive coordinator. If that's the case, he may not be safe. But I, what I'm hearing out of Carolina is they're giving Matt Rule another year, and whoever he gets as offensive coordinator, he's got to make it work or he's gone. The buyout is too large for Matt Rule. And uh, in, in Houston... They're thinking David Culley could be one and done, which is astounding to me, Mike. They brought this guy in to preside over one of the worst rosters in football. And he actually did pretty well with it. And they're going to fire him after one year. It almost feels like he was a deliberate palate cleanser. Like, you know, we don't want to bring in a Josh McDaniels and have him get strapped with a 4-12 and 12 season on his resume, or 4-13 and 13, as the case may be. So let's just find somebody else to do it for a year, and we'll, we'll work on building up the foundation, and then we'll go get Josh McDaniels or some other coach to come in who won't inevitably have on his permanent coaching record a horrendous first season. This would be, Mike, one of the ultimate ridiculous knee-jerk reactions. To what this guy did with this team of who they had just a couple of years ago, the players, to what they have now, to having to rely on a third-round quarterback in Davis Mills who came in and did a pretty damn good job given the situation. I, I, this would stun me if after a year, again, I'm going to sound like a broken record, you're going to bring in another coach and more coordinators and more uh, uh, position coaches. I can't tell you the effect that can have on a player to be changing that. This would be a joke, a joke to me, and a joke to what goes on, and sometimes we've seen it in the coaching profession, is one year, knee-jerk, fired, you're gone, let's start all over. This would be ridiculous if they do it in Houston. I feel like it was a setup from the start. I feel like he was hired with the plan that they were only going to keep him a year, and they need to take a step back and ask whether that's the right decision. He's done more with Davis Mills than any of the other coaches did with any of the rookie quarterbacks this year, as of right now, end of season, looking back at the body of work. And if their plan was, we're just going to get a guy for a year and then get somebody else, they need to rethink that plan. One more real quickly on the way out. We don't know what's going to happen with Joe Judge. He seemed to be safe a couple of weeks ago, but now the Giants coach may be teetering. Mike, I'm told that the Maras uh, really like Joe Judge. The Maras are very sensitive about the fact that they had Ben McAdoo two years and done, Pat Shermer two years and done, Joe Judge two years and done. It's a bad look for them. My, my understanding is they're going to hire a new GM because there's been no question that Dave Gettleman is going to retire or, or be fired or whatever label they apply. New GM is going to decide what to do with Joe Judge. But uh, they need to move quickly because these jobs start filling up and candidates start looking around. 
Uh, but but it feels like Joe Judge may have a chance, and he sure hasn't coached in recent weeks like a guy who feels safe, has he? Oh my gosh, he hasn't coached. His press conferences have been basically somewhat cringeworthy to listen to him talk, and then some of the coaching. But I also agree on that overview. Two years, new coach. Two years, new coach. You do it again, two years, new coach. That is no way, no way to run a franchise. You know, that just means you keep making the wrong decision over and over again and continually are making these changes. So that is kind of a bad look, and it tells you what a bad job you've been doing above the head coach as far as uh, who you're hiring. So we'll see if they do it here. Joe hasn't done himself any favors with the coaching and or the press conferences. But again, I'm not in the building. I'm not in the locker room. I'm not in the offices to know how it all is working with him around everybody else. Ownership is as involved in New York as they are in Dallas. They just don't stand out in the spotlight like Jerry Jones. They want they want to push somebody else out there to be the one that ends up being ridiculed on the back pages of the tabloids. Let's take a break. When we return, somehow, some way, the Tennessee Titans, without Derrick Henry, nail down the number one seed. They get a week off. Oh, and Derrick Henry is coming back. We'll talk about that development when PFT Live continues right after this. They don't give you a hat or T-shirt for anything like that. But we understand that, you know, we we're in the Elite Eight. You know, we we've we've moved on to the second round of the playoffs. So, um, you know, without having to play a playoff game, and we have to take advantage of the time. You know, we have to be great as coaches. We have to be great in our training staff. You know, our physical therapy, strength and conditioning. Allow these guys to get some time off, but also heal and and then get to work. Starting last year, only one team per conference gets a week off. And in the AFC this year, the Tennessee Titans earn it after losing Derrick Henry. I remember that feeling when we got the news that he had the foot injury, needed surgery, the air was out of the balloon, just at the time when it felt like it was falling together for the Titans. They had those big wins over the, the Bills and the Chiefs, and then, uh, oh, no. But here they are the top seed in the AFC, and Derrick Henry comes back with a healthy foot, and he's missed all the wear and tear he otherwise would have had down the stretch, Mike. This this has the potential, you know, to be something where we're looking at it now saying, oh, well, you know, you still got the Chiefs and the Bills and the Bank. The, the Titans are standing out among the rest, and it may be Titans-Chiefs at the end of the day for the AFC Championship. Who knows? But uh, a fresh Derrick Henry goes a long way toward helping the Titans get to the Super Bowl. Well, listen, I, I, what I love about them is they didn't, they didn't change their stripes, right? I mean, this was a, this was a running, complementary football team. You look at even yesterday, 32 runs, 32 passes. The only time in the last half dozen games or so, I think it was against, uh, uh, it was a loss against Houston when he threw 52 times, did Tannehill. I mean, he's not, he's, they're still running and passing about the same. Understand, Derrick Henry plays eight games only, so he missed nine. Julio Jones missed seven games. Uh, A.J. Brown missed four games. I mean, they have missed some time with their stars on this offense. That's why I think Mike Vrabel is the coach of the year, not for making the playoffs, but being the one seed out of all this and now getting Derrick Henry back. And we saw Julio Jones played yesterday. If they can get everybody healthy at the right time, uh, it's going to be real interesting. But this is a 
We run and we pass. We don't put the game on Ryan Tannehill's shoulders and make him throw 40 and 50 times. That's not what we do. And if we can't do it, if we have to do it that way, we're probably going to be out of the playoffs. But I just love the fact, even when Derrick Henry was out, they kept with their thing. Foreman steps in, did a nice job running the ball. They still played really, really good complimentary football. Yeah, he got bumped up to the active roster when Derrick Henry went down. And he has had a very solid season. He's got three 100-plus yard rushing games this year, 4.3 yards per carry, 133 attempts for 566 yards. And now they've got a little one-two punch. You can give Derrick Henry a little rest because Deontay Foreman can move the chains. I remember when he came out of Texas, he had gaudy numbers, 2,000 rushing yards plus in 11 games with Texas, but it never quite worked for him. And that's what I love about the running back position. They come in all shapes and sizes and all pedigrees and all rounds of the draft. And sometimes they hang around on the practice squad for a while and they finally get their chance. And when they do, they make the most of it sometimes. And that's what Foreman did. That just makes them stronger than they were when they had Henry before he got injured. Because who really was? Who was the guy other than Henry? Now they have a one-two punch. And... uh, I, I like what the Titans potentially can do, and getting that week off is going to be huge for them as they wait and see who they will face in the divisional round. When we return, Sunday statement draft for the last Sunday of the 2021 regular season. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. There's Stephon Diggs Cleats from Sunday's regular season finale, the Betty White tribute. Also said thank you for being a friend on the other side. Great stuff from Stephon Diggs. All right, Sunday statement draft for week 18. Mike, you're up. That was cool, by the way. I thought that was fantastic. Betty White on the shoes. Uh, My first one's going to go, last game is always incentive game. Do you hit your incentives? Rob Gronkowski needed X amount of catches, X amount of yards, 500 grand for each for a million dollars. He got them both. Seven catches for 137 yards. Not that the guy needs the extra money. I get it. But just, just to let everybody know, it is incentive day in the NFL, whether it's for sacks. We had one guy needed one sack. His wife told him, don't come home unless you get the sack. He got it for $250,000. I don't think she was serious. But I love what uh, Tom Brady said. I wasn't coming off the field until Gronkowski got his bonus of a million dollars, and he got it. No extra money for Dak Prescott. He doesn't need it. He's getting $40 million per year on his current four-year deal with the Cowboys. But how about five touchdown passes uh, for Dak in a game that, that – I, f- I feel like it was just, you know, the Cowboys, even though the Eagles weren't all in, they had a bunch of players inactive, but they, the Cowboys who had been sputtering offensively for weeks, they, they, they needed to go into the, the postseason on that, that, that high note with a little bit of that vibe that, that, they can, that they can make it happen when they need to. And as we said earlier, they're going to have their hands full against the 49ers this weekend. So Dak ready to roll. Uh, 100% by all appearances, and we'll see if they can put a strong offense together in the first round of the playoffs. Yeah, well, we've got to see if they can get that running game going again. They need that so, so badly. Uh, My next one is going to be Jacksonville, the entire team. Again, you have two wins. You're playing for nothing. If you play long enough, you end up in this position. Sometimes you're playing for a lot. Sometimes you're playing for zero. But I'll go again to what Chuck Griffin said. It says one last chance to get on tape, and that's your resume. For whatever new coaches may be here, players, whatever, 
this is a chance for you to show. And for them to step up with just a couple of wins and put it to uh, the Colts, again, more embarrassing for the Colts, but that just impresses me. You know, the U-Hauls weren't, weren't uh, hooked up to the cars. You know, as, as Joe Judge says, the, the golf clubs weren't in front of the lockers. These guys went out and did a job. They played incredibly well. And I'm sure for their fans, maybe like, hey, maybe we got something going in the future. We'll see. But for this game, it was very impressive at the last game of the season. Yeah, too many of those fans still focused on Trent Baalke returning as the GM. They should be focused on, yeah. at least a little bit, Trevor Lawrence looking pretty good yesterday and maybe maybe giving them a glimpse of things to come. Uh, I feel like I find a way to mention this guy every week, but I'm fascinated by the story of Rashad Penny, who was a first-round pick by the Seahawks four years ago, a guy they had a lot of faith in, a lot of hope, uh, injuries. It seems like every Seahawks running back suffers through injuries, but Rashad Penny has been incredible as he closes out his rookie deal because they didn't pick up his fifth-year option. He heads into free agency now, Mike, with 23 carries, 190 yards, and a touchdown. And who knows what happens. And, and, and I know they don't pay running backs, and I know that, that, that the only way to get big money is from the team that you've become a superstar with. Penny hasn't become a superstar over an extended period of time, but the Seahawks have a tough decision to make now about whether or not to keep him. And if he hits the open market, his latest film is pretty damn good week after week after week. And it's just been a great story to see him explode. But almost 200 yards yesterday as the Seahawks send the Cardinals to their fifth straight home loss to wrap up their season. Let's take a break. We'll wrap up this show with round three of the Show Me, or not Show Me Something, the Sunday Statement Draft. Show Me Something's Friday. Statement is Monday. We'll finish it next here on PFT Live. Sunday Statement Draft after a crazy Week 18 to wrap up the regular season. Mike Golick, your third selection. Well, you know, again, another guy showing something at the end of the year. You know, former U guy came out of the league, into the league in 2015. Duke Johnson came out with Cleveland there a few years, Houston a few years. Finishes off, they end up beating New England 25 carries for 117 yards. Played just five games this year. Hasn't had the career I'm sure he would have liked to have had or those teams he's been on would like him to have. But, again, you put that last good game on tape, you never know where it takes you uh, to that next year. And this Miami team, I used to to talk about Tua when Miami was winning games and him trying to keep that job for next year. But it's good to see a guy, you know, the last game of the season, get a win and running really hard, even though he only played a few games this year. I want to finish where we started, and as I said at the top of the show, the fact that the Raiders won, the fact that the Chargers aren't going to the playoffs, it's going to obscure what Justin Herbert did last night. What he did last night kind of reinforces the belief that so many have in him, the potential that he has, the future that the Chargers can have if they get the right pieces around him, but... For him to do what he did on fourth down, six for six for 106 yards, 17.6 yards per attempt on fourth down. He had 383 yards last night, 64 attempts. I mean, the passer rating was only 80.4, but still, he was getting banged around all night. He, he just kept going. He tried to will the Chargers into the postseason, and, and I, feel, I feel badly for him, and hopefully – this will make that fire burn even more for him, Mike, and make him determined to turn the Chargers into a year-in and year-out contender. 
Well, this is what happened. Remember when he came in the league, there were thoughts, does he really love the game? There were all kinds of questions about him. He got his chance to start because Tyrod Taylor got the bad shot and had to miss time. And, and all of a sudden, he's the man and, and just been lighting the world on fire. But he's just one of, so now we'll go to the offseason. In the NFL, while we have the playoffs, and after that, we just keep going. It's a year-round business now. They're one of the teams, and we'll start to count those teams afterward, that are set at quarterback, and then you figure out what pieces do you need to build to make a championship team. Because they have the ability to do that. They have their quarterback for what they hope is the next decade plus. And not many teams can say that right now to have it for that long. They have it. So now what do you do to build around that guy? Will you be watching the five-hour college football championship game tonight? Yes. Oh, yeah. Who do you, who, Georgia. Who, who do you like, Alabama Wait. or Georgia? All right. We'll be I checking like that out. Hopefully one. I can Picking stay away from it. Those college do, games take a while. That's it, everybody. Have a great day. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.